0: Hello and welcome to the one-stop co-op shop podcast, your one-stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, Jason Perez is here to entertain you with some more Shelf Stories. Yo, my peoples, what's up? Welcome to Shelf Stories, the channel that tells tales from games, books, and life. I am your host, Jason. Thank you so, so much for stopping by for this chat with friends. Uh, this is a person that I've, I feel like I've known for my entire gaming life. We were just talking before the call. Uh, I've been listening to this man uh, for almost 10 years now um, via his old podcast, Ludology. Uh, he is a game designer of some of your favorites, including Space Cadets, and the game that we're going to talk about today, which is Super Skill Pinball for Kade, and I'm sure a couple of others as well. Uh, this is Jeff Engelstein. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Jason. I'm excited to be here.
0: I would like to give a shout out to listener of the podcast, Corey Mayo, who pointed me to Jeff's... Um, twitter who you know uh he just put out the call uh i missed the call somehow i I do have this man followed but you know you can't check everything and he's like hey this he wants to talk and (laughs) he's a really good story so go ahead email him and so thank you very much Corey. i always appreciate uh and and anybody else anyone else who has any suggestions for guests anything like that uh please go ahead um so we are going to get to our chat um But I think the first thing we need to do is a little bit of promo. Let's get the promo out of the way. The actual straight up, like introduce yourself and how people can kind of find you and what you're offering to people. So uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about what's up now. Uh, You're not doing ludology, but you're active in the gaming universe.
1: Yeah, um, I'm doing a bunch of different things now um, uh, in my kind of post-Lydology life. So I'm continuing the game designs. Um, so I had two games come out of the last couple of months, Super Scope ball, which you mentioned, and Versailles 1919 um yep there's super Skull right there mm-hmm. uh we will
0: talk about super skill pinball and in a little bit um and we'll talk about the uh the the, the game well actually we'll, we'll get to the game talking a little bit but i'm going to make the people eat their vegetables first before we get to the candy
1: <laughs> uh. <laughs> so i got those coming out i had those those came out recently um upcoming um hopefully in march or april we're still working on it but uh we're aiming for a kickstarter for a new game that i do with my son called uh, Nova League, which we nice. can talk about also. Um, and then I've got uh, a uh, uh, my game tech book, um, mm-hmm. which uh, – was a, is a collection of um, the essays that I do on the Dice Tower um, uh, was uh, was uh, published in a, a kind of a rough format uh, back in 2017, but then it was picked up by HarperCollins. And they just actually recently republished it in the United States. It was first republished by HarperCollins in Australia, but now it's available in the US. Mm. So that just came out a couple months ago. And then in December,
0: well, uh, the end let, end we, of this. we we can pause on the game tech. This is what I meant sure. by vegetables. We're going to talk about the books first. This is a, a channel about games, books, and life. And it was exciting to gear that there is games and books and life going to be all in this conversation. There you go. We got it. All. Let's <laughs> let's <laughs> start with the book. So game tech. That was in particular that because I you know obviously the first thing you encounter is, is a dice tower, and I I covered a dice tower podcast when you're first getting into games. And so I don't know. I don't know how often you did. it. I think you did it maybe once every couple of weeks or once a month or whatever, whatever the frequency was. And Game Tech, if you don't know, was a, I don't know, a five to 10 minute spot where you would kind of discourse upon something interesting to you as a, from a very kind of high level game design perspective. And part of the running
1: joke was, does, would Eric get it? So (laughs) Yeah, so a couple of things about that. So first off, yeah, um, it goes back, um, so for my, uh, for my day job, so I do product development and uh, manufacturing for, for people on a variety of different products. And so my business uh, frequently took me over to Asia. And so way back in the day, I used to go to Korea a couple of times a year. And um, so I used to listen to the Dice Tower, and this is back when Tom lived in Korea and did it with the first Joe and, and then with Sam and so i just reached out to tom one time i was like hey i got a free evening i'm gonna be in korea i'm a big fan of the show would love to meet up with you and uh he and joe actually took the train down to seoul there north of seoul so he took the train down to seoul met with me we played some some games went to a game cafe was my first time ever in a board game cafe before they, they existed at all in the united states nice um and then after that i used to you know every time i went over there i'd go up to his house or his game group and we'd get together and play twilight imperium or whatever we had a lot of a lot of good times and one time he's you know he just mentioned to me that he was looking for new segments for the show uh and new contributors and um so i kind of wanted to kind of step beyond just uh just playing and doing something um and i was always a uh a, a big you know i had a great interest in, in math and science and i loved you know thinking about how those related to games and so i just came up with this idea and i want to just i want to do something a little different so i came up with this idea for game tech for um, talking about math and science and psychology and all these different things and the way that they relate to games, um, put together three sample segments and send them off to Tom. And um, and at the time I thought maybe I could come up with 20 different ideas, maybe <laughs> before I ran out. Right. And, uh, you know, so that was in... 300 episodes later. That was in 2007. <laughs> uh, and here we are in 2020 uh still still doing it every two weeks Uh, yeah i've done probably 300 or so i haven't even don't even know anymore um hundreds and hundreds and hundreds so uh yeah it's it's uh it's been fun and and um then and yeah they're five minute segments they feel like 10 minutes but they're actually only five minutes Uh, some of them uh, it
0: takes me 10 minutes to understand some of them because like i'll listen to it and it's like okay what did he just say Especially the like the because I'm not I'm not, okay so the psychology ones I'm all over I'm a psychotherapist we will absolutely talk about that that is my day job um, cool so like you know prisoner's dilemma and you know um, there was one that you did I think this may have been a, a bigger episode about like what happens to theme like you know the retheme of ink and gold into like a firefighting thing and that was yep, so. Yep. Oh, super interesting. Go ahead and check out ludology and the game tech if you want to know more. He he was doing psychology stuff before I even thought about it. So
1: yeah, and that, I think you his... know that was actually turned into a real experiment when it, yeah. it came up with the, you, you know, know that the whole story, so yeah, that was pretty cool.
0: Super cool. Uh, but then the the math ones, the astrophysics ones, and like when you try to describe AI, that's where mm-hmm. it's like okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean honestly, I always feel not not to you know I'm not trying to dissuade you from from expressing that or anything but honestly you know people say to me all the time oh yeah i i love your stuff i listen to it i don't understand any of it no and i always feel like i've failed then right you know because what Mm -hmm. i'm trying to do is i'm trying to you know teach or trying to be pedagogical you know i'm trying to you know help people make those connections with you know with things they know in the games that they know and things they maybe don't know about to help you know to help it make it a little easier for people to learn so so i feel like if people don't get it or can't get it, then I haven't really, you know, done my job. So that's why I always try to try to do, but it's hard in five minutes to explain quantum mechanics, you know? Yeah.
0: Although what I, what I will say, and this is a psychology thing, right? I think, and, or maybe a cultural thing. I think there is this kind of like, it's almost like expressing your innumeracy. So there's like illiteracy and innumeracy. So like, I can't do math. I'm the worst at math. That's its own kind of status symbol in our culture. Like, you know, it's like, oh, I'm the worst yeah. at math. Don't make me do anything. So I feel like you're kind of, your segments kind of swim upstream against that very thing that we do. And I'm not, I, I, I can't figure that out. I can't figure out why that's it. Have you noticed that? That it's almost like a status symbol when people say? Yeah, I
1: mean, some people certainly can, yeah, we'll, we'll say that and do that, you know, and I, 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 I get that. Um, and you know, and your,
0: your your segments kind of feed that. So it's not like it's that they don't understand. It's like it becomes a status symbol that they don't understand. <laughs>
1: <I> <laughs> I'm tried glad, to, have, I'm glad to help people thing. get up to, uh, you know, <laughs> advance their social status, get together and talk uh, about how they just completely don't understand game tech.
0: Yeah. Much, uh, um, so, many, so
1: Okay, go. Ahead. No, 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 you go. I, I guess how many game techs were collected in the uh, HarperCollins book? Uh well, it was interesting. So the original game, I did a Kickstarter, a 10 year anniversary Kickstarter back in 2017. And that one was very specifically, I think it was like 60 pieces, 60 essays or some, somewhere around that. Um, and um uh, then when harper collins picked it up you know so then i uh you know one of the people who was an editor at harper collins actually you know was also a fan of the show and saw the book and was spoke to the the you know the people there and was like hey we should do this and so they picked it up but they totally smoothed it out i mean they blended together like it was very much just the it, it was pretty much transcripts of the segments right yeah. of, of the original book they the, the editor whose name i can't recall right now but he did a fantastic job of blending things together in a way that just read is much more readable and so that's the new version that's the orange covered version that's out Mm -hmm. now that's the only one that you can get at this point so Mm -hmm.
0: um
1: so it's and we added some new material for the harper collins one versus the first one because there were some newer segments that had come out in the meantime that i really liked Mm
0: -hmm. uh any like do you have like a top three or is the do we have to read the book for that like three that (laughs) you just felt like
1: oh man i nailed this one this was amazing uh I mean, it, it, from that standpoint, but the ones that I always go back to—I mean, there was one about—I um, I enjoyed the one I did about um, uh, colonoscopies. It's one of my <laughs> personal favorites. <laughs> no, do you know, know that, that story? I don't. No, I don't. <laughs> okay, uh, so that that study was from the '80s, I believe, um, and um, this was back when they did colonoscopies. They didn't do it under general anesthesia, so you were awake for it. Okay, so they took people and. Um, the normal procedure was like, uh, I'll make up numbers, like 10 minutes long, right? The normal procedure is 10 minutes long and the peak discomfort comes right at the very end of the procedure. Mm. Okay, so what they did is they asked people like every minute to give them a number from one to 10 of how uncomfortable they were. Then they did a, another set of people with a different procedure where the first 10 minutes were exactly the same. So it peaked up at the 10 minute point. But then instead of ending at 10 minutes, they let it go on for another 10 minutes. So it ended at 20 minutes. Mm. In the last 10 minutes, It was just more like a cooling down period. And then they asked people afterwards, like a week after, they asked them, what would you rate as the total discomfort that you had? And their hypothesis was that they would probably be roughly equal, or maybe the people that had the longer procedure would have more total discomfort because it was a 20 minute long thing that they were sitting through rather than a 10 minute long thing they were sitting through. But actually the people that did the 20 minutes in general rated it much better than mm. the people where it ended at 10, even though the procedure was twice as long um, and they were uncomfortable for twice as long. And they did a bunch of different experiments and eventually modeled it, that the, the, the best approximation for the people's remembering of the discomfort was um, an average between the, disco- the worst discomfort at any point and mm. the discomfort at the very end. <laughs> okay, if you average those two numbers, that's how people remember things. Wow. It's not necessarily okay. how they experience it at the time, but mm-hmm. that's how they remember it. Um, and um,
0: uh, so it the 10 minute
1: one, mm-hmm. the peak and the end are at the same time. So it's remembered mm-hmm. as much worse than the other one. And uh, then the longer one that's that's got the peak in the middle. Um, and, and that's really kind of informed a lot of my game design. Almost my game design is now modeled after colonoscopies. <laughs> um, in that, you know, I really try to make sure ever since I kind of read that, it actually I was in the middle of doing space cadets and I tweaked a lot. We changed a lot because I, and I read that. I was like, oh my God, we're, we're, we're falling prey to this. Is you want to make sure you've got your best moments right at the end, right? okay? And it makes sense if you think about it. Like if, you, if I go to see a movie, right? If I'm going to see a thriller, right? Uh, if the best moment in the movie is in the middle of the movie, you know, if and then it's a mediocre ending, I'm gonna be much less happy than if it's a mediocre middle and a great ending, mm-hmm. right? The ending is super right. important. And a lot of games I play kind of fizzle out at the end. You know, the last couple of turns, you feel like you're just going through the motions and you're doing stuff or whatever, right? And mm-hmm. I think that a lot of designs suffer for that. And if you, um, you know, you, you need a designer to focus on making that ending pretty exciting. I, I will actually... Wow,
0: I can actually uh, counter that a little bit. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so um, I am a solo player, and we we vote on the solo games of the year and the, and the one player gun on BDG, right? And the number one solo game for two years running, I don't think it will be The Throne. I have it up here. It is Spirit Island. So Spirit Island has an issue where the ending isn't that good. So, like, it, you know, you have you played spirit island yeah okay so you 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 know you're doing the thing doing... solo but i've
1: played it with other people yeah
0: mm-hmm. so you're doing all the things right you're doing the card play and you're setting things up and you're setting up combos and there will be a point kind of like in that mid to end game where like oh you know you have the big move and you you sweep the the, the colonist away with the tsunami and you, you do whatever and then like the last couple of turns are, are either pro forma or like you've just kind of like eased into the the win condition And like, oh, wow, that was interesting. (laughs) And there's a couple of solo games that are like that. So it's almost like there's a lot. There's a couple of solo games that that more equate to puzzles. And it equates to what you were saying before about the whole thing about like the the difference between the peak experience and the end. The peak experience is so high that the end could be okay right that the end could only be okay and yeah. i think that i mean it's an average kind of like... it
1: is an average of the two right exactly. and it also depends on how close the peak is to the end so like if you could like if you're doing like there's many types of puzzles that get easier as you go right the beginning part of the puzzle, but once you like unlock it and you get like halfway through then it's like a downhill skate right right but the halfway point is not halfway in time usually you're spending like three quarters on the first half and one quarter on the last right. half right so mm-hmm. yeah so there's different but, curves yeah. and stuff like that but yeah, like yeah any... I, I
0: think Mm-hmm. like any put like a sudoku puzzle right there's usually like a box or two that is the most challenging thing so like you've you you filled in your your numbers that are like easier and then you you're like there's like a, a zone or two that's like and you spend all that time there and then once you find that number then the whole thing kind of like adds up and like f- flows in so like yeah, i remember that box i don't need the end of sudoku to be
1: exciting <laughs> right but you need you to know? be quick Yes, that's I need it to come right? fairly if quickly if you, after the right, end. Right, yes. if it drags if it on after that, that's when it's going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. So you want to bring that 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 best moment as close as possible to the end. I mean, even in a movie, after the climax, there's still usually a little bit more, but they keep it quick.
0: Well, I uh, mean, unless
1: you're at Lord of the Rings you have the whole power. I was going to say Lord of the Rings, exactly. <laughs> and people are still talking about it now, right? It's like, uh-huh. oh, it's still not over? Really? <laughs>
0: yeah, and uh, actually, and I guess you can have the counter-study is like game of thrones a tv show so like you could argue that the the show climaxed in seasons three and four Mm -hmm. with like the the red wedding and the you know i'm not going to spoil anything if you guys want to go back there but nobody wants to go back there why because it climaxed in season three and four and then the rest of it was this long slow descent into mediocrity and then the ending was just like what was that Mm -hmm. so you see literally no people are going back in the way they're going back to see Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings or any all these these other yeah. properties, and it and I guess your colonoscopy thing really explains that because the, there was too much distance between the best of the show and the end of
1: it. Yeah. Um, so that was one of them. You wanted three, right? Yeah. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: another one was that I oh, always yeah, like. We have to get back to the game text. <laughs> That's, yeah. Right. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Uh well just quickly then I mean the other ones were um you know that I, that I really liked it was I did one about uh Kepler Johannes Kepler yeah and his Mysterium Cosmographum uh mm-hmm. theory um uh, which for those that are not familiar, I mean, he, he studied the motions of the planets and they just started finally you know, realizing about the heliocentric system and how far the planets were from the sun. They started putting all those numbers together. And he, he was trying to figure out, make rhyme or reason of the distance that all the planets were from the sun. And he tried all kinds of different things. And he found out that, that if you nested polyhedral dice, basically, <laughs> uh, if you put like a tetrahedron inside a cube, inside a 12-sider, inside a 20-sider, right? That the radius of all those things matched up pretty well with the radi- with the distance of the planets from the sun. Because mm. um, it was only five at that point, it only went out to Saturn, was the furthest one that, that could be seen with the naked eye.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so he, yeah, the pictures of that he drew of it are just really cool, showing all those nested, nested dice. Hmm. Um, and you know he felt like you know as he put it that he was like you know staring into the face of god that he like uncovered this incredible mystical rule and published it and was super excited about it and felt like he had the key to the universe uh until like you know five or ten years later when they started taking better measurements and found out that they don't actually move in circles that the planets will move in ellipses
0: Mm. and
1: um you know, and, and the, the numbers no longer matched up with his, you know, with his dice polyhedron theory. Um, but he, you know, he took the new data and he, you know, he, he threw his theory away and came, you know, no matter the beauty of it, you know, he, he took the facts mm-hmm. and he said, hey, you know, this is, this is reality. There's no model for it. You know, what I thought was, was true is not true. And, mm-hmm. you know, just went on with the rest of his, the rest of his life. And I, you know, I think that that's an important lesson for everybody to try to to take is you can have, you know, things may look beautiful or you may have cherished theories about a lot of different things in our lives. And, you know, so you just have to face reality sometimes and adjust your perception based on what's really out there.
0: And human psychology is built to go exactly against that. Like we are, we are built to build our towers and to love our towers and love our cities. Just, you know, like and I, I, as a psychotherapist, that is exactly like my, my, my thing is I, I, end every video on this, change your mind, you can change the world. Right. And there are so like, that is the essential thing of my psychotherapy is people who just have such a hard time changing their minds. Like, yeah. you know, cause it makes sense. So I understand
1: that it's hard, you know, and yeah, right. people get into, you know, preconceived notions and things like that. But, um, you know, I, I was, uh, it's been attributed to a lot of people. I think originally it was um, uh, Keynes, I think, John Maynard. It, Keynes, it was attributed to is the quote, uh, you know, somebody asked him, you know, I, I forget the exact thing, but it was like, you know, I, you know, you've, you, you don't, you know how could you have flip-flopped, basically, you know, whatever the, the 1920s term was, and how could you flip-flop in this opinion? And, and he responded to him. he says, well, he says, when I, he says, when I am presented with new information, I change my mind. What do you do, sir? <laughs> you know when i when I'm presented with new facts, so yeah, um so that was one and and just and the third one just I, I don't know if it re- I guess it kind of resonated with people because people came over to me afterwards, but mainly it's because because I did it live and I was emotional at the time, but when I was mm. forty nine I guess yeah, I was forty nine and I did a live game tech at Gen con, um and I talked about um what I like to call the uh, in engine building games the pivot, the pivot moment, mm-hmm. like in Splendor, right, or in Dominion, right. At some mm-hmm. point you've got to stop building your engine and you've got to start using it to get points. Yeah, score, score, score. Um, and I I kind of pivoted from that into the fact that it was actually on my birthday that I was doing it, uh, 49 uh and i talked about how milestones i've always measured milestones on my birthday by perfect squares actually you know usually mm-hmm. good things happen to me good i'm 9 16 25 36 and 49. Mm. uh so um so it was a big one for me but i said that you know at this point that i want to pivot from kind of building my engine up to that point to executing you know to to right. doing it and for me that was trying to make a difference about trying to you know, as much as I like teaching already, but you know, try to try to just get into more things and 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 turn it into more output that I, that I hope would help people, other people in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like seven years ago now, uh, and I've really tried to, you know, push through on that. And that's you know when I started teaching with NYU, and I uh, I teach game design there, and and um, you know, writing the books and helping to mentor people and. Uh, we've started the, you know, a couple of years ago started the new Voices and Gaming Foundation to try to offer scholarships to underrepresented uh designers to, you know, get out and get some of these opportunities to meet people and be mentored and things like that. So and, and now the new Zenobia Award that I'm on the board for that. So I've really mm-hmm. been trying to, you know, kind of use the the equity that I've I've built up to, you know, hopefully make things better for um for for other people. And Ed-
0: It sounds, are you aware of like Steven Erickson's uh, developmental life cycle?
1: No, I'm not.
0: So you, in that one live thing, it sounds like you went from stage seven to stage eight. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So a stage, uh, I hope you guys guys are interested in this. This is very different than anything I've done.
1: (laughs) So- um, We'll get to the games. We'll get to the games. We'll get to the games. And I was was seven, my age was seven squared. So I guess that was the end of stage seven. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) exactly
0: i gotta i gotta math that out actually (laughs) that's really really interesting um so then the the developmental stages it goes from birth to death he was a freudian so like they are they a lot of talk about stages so you know a little bit further a little back in the 20th century so then you know like every stage has a task so like the first stage when your baby is you have to learn to trust Right, you know, you don't trust anything. You have to learn to trust, and then you know you become a little, uh, the little one, and then you learn to explore. That that's the task, like explore, and then you go to you know different stages. And like if you're a teenager, you learn to identify yourself. If you're a young adult, you learn to love, and if you're an adult, you learn to like build. As you were saying before, like you know, build that engine. So like you're like they call it generativity. So it's like you know you learn to generate, right? Uh, and then, so what are you generating? You're generating your children and you're generating at your job and you're kind of establishing a legacy and that's stage seven. And then stage eight, the last stage is kind of like solidifying your legacy, so to speak, your impact. So like, you know, you've built, you've built, you've built. Now, what kind of impact are you having? And yeah. it's so funny how you walked, how you described exactly going from stage seven to stage eight and it's this theory they make you memorize as a psychotherapist to take your license so it's like memorize the eight stages and you know (laughs) but i found so much usefulness because it's like wow this is this actually applies you know i know a lot of people that are trying to like find meaning in their later years as they kind of near retirement like what am i going to do now kind of thing and it's like well make an impact
1: yeah, so, um, So. yeah, and I've been very, you know, It's. it's been a gratifying, you know, part of the journey that I'm looking forward to continuing.
0: Say a little bit more about the scholarship. Um, obviously, you know, as a, a person of color, I'm, I'm Latino, I'm very interested in just having more voices, more diversity, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about how your scholarship is kind of getting the word out and, and getting
1: people in the hobby. Yeah, it started out, um, so uh, we we had our first round I guess three years ago now, something like that. Um, and we partnered with Tabletop Network. So Tabletop Network, which was started um is mainly the brainchild of, of designer Tim Fowers, uh, who um, who did Burgle Brothers and there you go.
0: There you go. I got plenty yep, of I have, more, I have more Tim Fowers than Jeff Engelstein, unfortunately, on my shelves.
1: <laughs> hey, that's that's his his he's a better designer than I am. So that that is deserved. He designs uh, cooperative
0: games. That's my damn is <laughs> <most> cooperative games. <laughs>
1: Um and so we did the first uh I, I helped, you know, kind of organize it. And it was intended to be I don't there's a video game, big video game conference called GDC where they bring in people to do papers and presentations and stuff Game like developers' that. conference, so, yeah. So he wanted he had this vision of doing a, a similar one for for tabletop designers. Um and it wouldn't be just it wouldn't be just playtesting you know it wouldn't be you know it wasn't going to be it wasn't going to be exhibitors you know it it wasn't going to be just playing games all day right tournaments he wanted to do something different was going to strictly be educational and there would just be people coming and giving lectures and panels and you know breakout groups and stuff like that It it was going to be three days of education and so we did the first one was out in utah and um it was just a phenomenal experience just being able to be there with that level of of talent and you know just the people that were there. Mm -hmm. Um but it was, you know, it was super duper white guy, right? I mean it was really um, you know, Mm -hmm. it was yeah, noticeable. Very, very (laughs) Yeah. Even for Utah. Um (laughs) and, you know, and so you know, afterwards we were talking to each other and I was, you know, I was like, look, we gotta, you know, and I understand that part of the the issue is also when you do a retreat like that, that it's you know, there was a certain cost involved. It was hard for people to travel. You know, there's just a certain level of, um, you know, and and really, I think you know, regardless of, um, uh, you know, of of your your race or whatever, you know, if if you're if you're in your twenties and you're a new game designer, it's it's hard to you know fly out to, you know, Salt Lake City for a week potentially and, and do this thing. Um, so, you know, I tried to think about what we could do to you know, and certainly we wanted to try to attract people. You know, just in general, but you know, I felt that one of the hurdles was, you know, was just the financial impact of trying to get people out there. But I thought it would be really helpful to get there, so that was why I started um, New Voices in Gaming, which was specifically to give scholarships to people. So basically, to cover people's travel expenses, hotel expenses, you know, basically a free, completely free trip to these types of conventions to get there and meet people. But more importantly. And I got this idea from talking to some other people that didn't doing this um, for Metatopia convention and stuff like that. They also have kind of scholarship programs is that it was important to have a mentorship aspect to it. You know, right. if you just bring people and just, you know, here you are at this conference, have fun. Goodbye. Right. You know, that's not super effective. Um, and uh, so, um, so we, we had a mentorship part of it also. So a one-on-one mentorship. Uh, so in the end, originally I was planning on doing five people at the first one and um uh, the the support from uh, so many different game publishers was phenomenal and individuals. Um, you know, I, I, I would name some of them, but they're all on the website if you have new voices in gaming. Uh, and I'm sure I'll forget some. Uh, but we actually expanded it to 10, and um, I had no problem getting mentors that were there. And it was like a murderer's row of designers. I mean, it was we had Rob Davio and Elizabeth Hargraves and Martin Wallace and, you know, you uh, uh, Dominic Krepchets and, you know, just all these people, um, Cole, really, yeah. you know, so just fantastic people to meet with, with, you know, each one person one-on-one and, um, and, and work through their designs and help them and stuff like that. And, um, and, and the foundation we paid for people's, all their travel, all their, their meals, all their hotel and the admission. So it was completely free for them to go. And it was just, a terrific experience uh, for everybody. I think, including the mentors and, and the students, and we were all set to continue with expand the program and do more this year.
0: Mm-hmm. We had a whole
1: bunch of things lined up to send people to unpubs. So we've been talking to unpub. We've been talking to um, you know again with table uh, tabletop network uh, and other conventions. But of course, everything got blown up this year. Uh so we've been trying to come up with some other ways. So I've been supporting um uh the tabletop mentorship group. They they give out a um, you know, they a speaker program and, and a um uh, a, a micro grant program which we support and there's a bunch of other things that we support. So it's it's been interesting to try to come up with, you know, and a lot of charities struggle with this of how do you you know, I mean at, at the end of the day we we impacted ten people, right? Is that going to be enough to make a dent? Now, those 10 people have gone on. You know, some of them have gone on to do great things. You know, some of one of them just got hired by uh, Prospero Hall and moved out to nice. Seattle and is working out there. Um, but, um, you know, it's so, how do you leverage that? How do you, how do you kind of expand and grow that program? So that's mm-hmm. New Voices. Nice. I mean,
0: uh, it, so the, the, the POCs, I'll use that term. Uh, the, the persons of color get asked this all the time. I get to ask this of the white guy. So um, the white so according to the white guy's perspective, and I know you're only one person, but you know, just uh, throw it out there. Um, what do you think? I mean, you mentioned before about just monetary and a thing, um, but what do you think is the barrier where you know we're, we look certain way as a country, but we our hobby looks still so white. I mean, is there something that we're, is there something that we're doing wrong? Is there something that's in the games themselves? Is there, like, what is, like, what, what from your perspective do you think is, uh, is going on there?
1: Um, you know, um, I, I'm purely speculating. It's hard for me to say directly because, you know, I haven't had this experience, right? I haven't been that person in that, try, you know, trying to get sure. in or seeing what's interesting. I think that, though, that a really big part of it is, um, you know, I I, I truly believe that just, you know, seeing yourself up on that stage is an important thing. And so I think that it's a self-perpetuating kind of a thing that, you know, if somebody looks at a panel of game designers and, you know, they look a certain way, then you say, I I can be that or I, you know, maybe that's not for me, right? Mm -hmm. Or if there's certain subject matters, like, you know, hey, I'm interested in, you know, like Rap Gods or something, right? Or, what, you know, I'm interested in that type of, of a thing and you go looking for a game on that or something like that, you know, or every game you look at is about elves. You know, I, I don't know. That's That may be, or about, you know, World War II mm-hmm. tanks battles, right? You know, that's going to appeal to a certain thing. And it just, I, I, I so I mean, I, I know that I'm sure that there's some aspects of it that's more active of shutting of, of people out. I haven't personally seen that. But I think that there's enough passive, you know, shutting people out because of just self-perpetuation of these are the type of people that go to these events and these are the types of people that do this thing. So that's going to be the type of people that do it in the future that I think that that's enough to explain what we Mm -hmm. see. Um, But I, you know, I, I also, I also can tell you, look, as somebody, I, I went to origins, the second ever origins that was held in 1978 okay, in Chester, Pennsylvania, and it was, there was zero representative. you know, it was not a, there was not a woman to be found, right, there was nothing, right, it was held on a college campus, and it was, you know, and, and right. so it's way better than it was before, it certainly is not representative of the country as a whole, um, but I, I, I think we're, we're, we're making some strides, but I think it's just, you know, it's one of those things that I'm hoping that, you know, time will, uh, will help, but I think that getting these, you know, actively bringing in, you know, working to bring in more people and to make them more visible so that, you know, the younger kids are coming up and saying, Hey, this is something I could do, I think is, is important. And it's, it's a generational turnover that it's just, it's going to take right. time, but I think we got to be somewhat active to make it happen.
0: And I'm glad you put it that way because like, you know, you can see the alternative perspective saying, well, there's no one stopping you, you know, the door is open, just walk in and, and go and do it. And, you know, so you have to ask, but you have to ask the question, who's holding the door, you know, if, 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 and who's on the other side of that door. And that matters too. Like, it can't, you can't just give a person an open door and say, go. You can't just give a person a scholarship and say, you know, go to this convention. There has to be that connection on the other side, you know, people that are successful and, you know, maybe they're a little bit trailblazy, but, you know, that's how we make change. And we don't, you know, we don't, we don't need to fight that. So no, it's, I think it's valuable just even to hear your perspective and say, you know, you see it too. <laughs> and I'm hopeful that enough people on the on the other, on the Heather side of the door see that and and uh, see that that's importance as well. Um, okay,
1: so um, yeah, oh, that we're was, talking about books. That was game tech. <laughs>
0: that was game so I tech. actually have
1: three books coming out in 2020, which is just insane. Right. So uh, the game tech book came out. Well, this is the republication The game book was it was in September, but then in, in the very beginning of this, this hellacious year, um, I had my book with MIT Press come out called Achievement Relocked, mm. which if you have not seen it, I think you would find particularly interesting. Mm. Um, it's it's specifically about the psychology of loss aversion mm-hmm. and its use in both video games and board games as, as a design yep. tool. Um. So I'm really happy with, pleased with that one. That's that's probably more on the academic side, um, but um, but I'm I'm very pleased with the way that one came out. And then at I the end, a of this lot year, of loss
0: aversion of in my therapy. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> sure. Uh, that you know you you have um, you have a choice in life between do you want do you want to be happy or do you want to be safe and that's the that's the central tension of the of the human brain so like being happy incurs risk incurs these things and then the, a lot of people just kind of default to loss aversion they default to safety and yep. they wonder why they're unhappy <laughs> and and to play with that tension that that i find that, and i guess that's why that's part of why games appeal so much like there's so much of games and gaming appeals to kind of like root
1: issues in psychology which is really 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 cool yeah and as a game designer, I find it's really useful to understand those things, particularly as a game designer. I mean, any artist, I think it's, you know, the more you understand about humans and the way they think, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the better potentially you can be. But I think in game design in particular, I mean, look, if I'm writing, if I'm making a movie or I'm writing a book, right, I have real tight control over the emotional arc of the reader or the viewer or whatever. If I'm designing a game and I'm trying to bring emotion into it, it's very difficult. Uh, You know, it's more open and sandboxy and, you know, it's hard. I think it may be physically impossible to actually scare somebody in a board game. Uh, But, um, you know, you can do it in video games, too. Video games that you have control over music and pacing and lighting and, you know, you can do jump scares and there's all kinds of things you can do. I think in board games, the biggest tool that we've got to deal with player psychology is loss aversion you know, of the threat of taking stuff away of, you know, and that's what like, you know, whether it's a, a push your luck game or, you know, whatever, right. There's, if you give the player something to lose that, that's your emotional lever as a game designer. So mm-hmm. understanding that in the different ways to use that in the way that that manifests, I think can be really useful. And that book is called achievement. Relocked. Mm-hmm. And that will and be coming out at, at some point. MIT press. No, that was, that's out already that came that's out in already. February. Yeah. And, nice. uh, and then I've got a book coming out uh, this month called Game Production. Um, subtitle is uh, Producing, Prototyping, and Producing Your Board Game. And this is doesn't really cover game design at all. It's about the physical aspects of being a designer: how to make prototypes, you know, how to make cards, how to combine spreadsheets to make your life easier, uh, how to do graphic design, rules layout, you know. Uh, all the production stuff then how much it costs to print cards and cubes and boxes and trays and so Mm -hmm. it's all that other kind of stuff that's you know as as you're doing the design what it is so i'm very excited about that because i think that's i I frequent um game designer forums and stuff like that and try to help people out on reddit and facebook and whatever and like 90 percent of the questions are all like does this card look good or how much does it (laughs) cost to get cubes or you know that kind of stuff how do i make a board um so i'm Mm -hmm. hoping that that'll be a good resource for people
0: Hmm. And also for playtesters, and that—that that, I mean, I don't know if I'm ever going to make a it to the game design. We'll see. But in terms of, I've tried playtesting, and it's very difficult. It's surprisingly difficult to be a playtester because you basically have to recraft the game, you know. And I, that you, you say like, "Oh, I'll help you out," and then they send you a file. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They send you schematics, basically. <laughs> they look like schematics, and you have to kind of craft them and construct them. So, I mean, with it, with a book like that, I mean, because I have a lot of – um. so this this will appear on the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast, and we have an active Discord with some playtesters. Uh, and we're hoping to get more people into playtesting because it's a fun way to participate. Does your book kind of appeal on that level and have uh, lessons
1: for that? Um, I, I don't get as much – a little bit into playtesting, but not quite as much. Um. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's some other resources that are really good for that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, 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 guess how I to give a couple of pointers. Like it's craft, about, it's uh, about yeah. how to actually, yeah. I mean, if somebody sends you print and play files on what to do or whatever, then, yeah, this will help you, you know, sure. get it made, get, make a prototype and stuff that you can do it. I mean, I personally, when I'm designing, I hate just sending somebody a prototype unless if I do that and I did it somewhat for the pinball game, is I ask people to tape them, record themselves playing. Because I, I get the information, the best information I get is from watching people play my designs. Because then I can tell when they're bored, I can tell when they're you get that body language. And that's like even playtesting over tabletop simulator. It's been so challenging, because it's just not the same, you don't get the same kind of feedback.
0: So it's funny enough that you mentioned that game. Let's, we can go right into it. We can go right into Super Skill, Pinball, 4K. Yes. Um, so I will have a review on the Dice Tower, a very unique review, and I'll tell you that, about that in a little bit, um, around the same time this one comes out. And we also did a playthrough in the one-stop co-op shop. Uh, Michael Kelly did one. You know, a, I mean, a I think this game has been really well-received you know i'm not what the um what are you seeing in terms of the feedback of and, and like what are you seeing a and b did it did it surprise you uh how well the being how well the game is being received now
1: um yeah i mean I, I i in one sense i i am finding it surprising um it i mean in no sense I'm not because every game i come out with i am convinced that it is absolutely the best game that's ever been made ever in history <laughs> this and, is um, the one this is the one <laughs> <laughs> uh but no i mean the, the reviews have been really good i mean tom Vassell called it his uh he said it was the best roll and write yeah ever basically um And we like immediately sold out of the first print run. Uh, I'm happy that you were able to get a copy because they are completely gone. They're not even like, just like gone from distribution. They're basically gone from all the store shelves too. We do have more coming in over the next week or so. And they've actually already gone back for a third printing. Mm -hmm. So that's been gratifying. Um, And we are working on an expansion. Uh, That's one of the nice things about it. It's very expandable, you know, just make new tables and do different boards and yeah. So I've been excited about it. And I think, um, you know, I think part of the part that helped uh, and it was completely WizKids idea, so I have to give them total credit. And they didn't we really even think it from a marketing standpoint, because from a marketing standpoint, it was a terrible move. But yeah. um, <laughs> you know, back in April when the pandemic first started, um, you know, Zev uh, uh formerly from Z-Man Games, yep. now it, for WizKids, came to me and it was like, Hey, we had this great idea that you know everybody's stuck at home, we're looking for things to do. We would like to your permission to, you know, take let's take a table make a print and play of it put the rules as a single sheet and you know uh just put it up there for people free download they can just play it and you know go for it and you know so we did that and you know i think it got some a lot of popularity and exposure from that i mean it was way too early from a marketing standpoint again this was like april may and the game didn't come out until september Mm-hmm. so you know it, it, from a buzz standpoint it wasn't the right time to do it but you know i thought it was really nice to to hear people that were playing it and were having fun with it and it's a kind of game you can easily play over zoom or whatever so
0: Right, and you know you can print
1: it. It's a, it's one sheet or two sheets, depending on like if you wanted yep. to print it. Yep. And the, those are the, still yeah. available. Actually, you can still get it. There's and actually they put a second table up too. So there's there's two two out of the four tables you can just download uh, from mm-hmm. the Whiz website.
0: So I, we we should probably uh, explain to people who don't know what Super Skill 4K is. It is a roll and write game uh, for one two, infinity players. You know however many four, four pencils come in the box. Uh, it's very it's it's so deceptively simple. because like, the you look at the board and it looks very busy. And it's like, what is happening? There's all these like spaces and everything, but then it's like, you know, roll two dice, move the pinball, <laughs> where the where the number is. You, just, you know, or pick the pick one number and roll and put it in the space. And then if you know pinball, and that's the what the question one of the I want to ask you was, um, if you know pinball, it's easy. Like you know how, how pinball flows. It's it's fairly easy. So then this game feels like kind of a um, a love letter to pinball. Like, you really have to kind of know it. I I, I, I make an assumption. Like, do you, is this one of those games where, like, you really kind of pulled from the recesses of your knowledge of pinball? Or was it just like, you know, or, or, or are you not as into pinball like that? I, I no, I know. love pinball.
1: Uh, yeah, I've, I grew up with a pinball machine. We had a fireball pinball machine when we grew up. In fact, the very first table, the carnival table, the original uh, foundation of it was fireball uh and then they rethemed it but um and then we had a, i had a a cyclone machine when i when i was adult we got a house and i bought my own machine we had a cyclone and then we had a star trek next generation machine and now i've got a hobbit pinball machine we've always had a pinball machine in the <laughs> house never more than one i'm not one of those people that's like you know 15 i, I have 2,000 board games but mm. i only have one pinball machine um gotta draw the line somewhere right right uh so, so, and, yeah uh, i mean
0: it, you have like that's what i got the sense of. i got the sense of like yeah. the person who designed this game loves pinball
1: absolutely Yeah. And yeah. And I tried to bring that in of, you know, all the different things that, you know, pinball, different pinball machines have done over the years. I mean, there's so many different, they call them toys or or gizmos or whatever that they do some, some cool stuff. And how do you express that in a, in a board game and give the feeling of it without, you know, it's, you're not going to act a hundred percent. It's not a simulation of pinball, right? It's, it's evocative of pinball. Mm
0: -hmm. So I, so the review I did. So I, I do a, a line of reviews. called, I call them games for a healthy mind, games that I've used in therapy uh, with people, and I kind of talk through what you know what benefit that the client gets. So Super, Super pinwall was one of them, and I've I've played it once <laughs> in okay. therapy, and I share the story in the dice style. But I will I'll share with you since you're right here. So it was a a couple. Uh, so I have one of the things I do is a couple's therapist, and the the wife is struggling with early onset and like going into Alzheimer's. So there's degeneration and I've seen them for years. So I've seen the degen- degeneration happen in the mm-hmm. wife. And so it's like part of the therapy is helping her kind of stay engaged with stuff. And part of the therapy is helping the husband help her. Cause the, the husband is, you know, has his faculties. He's kind of physically, you know, has some stuff going on. He's had to go to early retirement, but you know, now he's in a position where he has to basically care for his wife and it's very, very challenging. So I, you know i do the best that i can i play a lot of games with them like play uh can't stop got you know just like puzzley, simple abstract games mm-hmm. and i tried <laughs> this was a total like you shot in the dark uh just knowing what i know from them i tried super skill pinball and it is a it's like the you know so that for a game where the rules are simple you know, and but for a, a, a muggle, and they don't, they, they never really progress past that. It's, it's a little bit difficult, so I had to kind of like adjust some rules, and it's like you know, uh, we we'll, we won't keep score the first round, <laughs> but I'm going to show you the things, and I kind of I kind of taught it in a way that that MSI flow, like this is what the pinball is doing, and then so like if you so I, I taught that ball. I think the ball is the easiest yeah. one. So then you they have like four levels, and then in that second level, there's the bumpers. Right. So then I kind of demonstrated that the sense of like, okay, this is a, a push your luck. Well, not a push your luck, but like, you know, you can really rack up ding, 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 ding. And like, that kind of caught him. And he's like, wow. He remembered. Cause like, he's like, Oh wow. We well, remember playing pinball when we were kids. So then it's like, you know, I taught him the game so that he could play the game with his wife. And what ended up happening was the wife would roll. Like she was in charge of rolling. That's all she had to do. Just roll, mm-hmm. and then she he would ask for numbers. Give me a two, honey, and she would, you know, and he she would, oh yeah, there, there. And then they started kind of connecting on a deeper level. Like, and this is a woman that has has been sick for a long time, and she was happy. And they were like reminiscing, and they were talking about things, and you know, like they were wearing masks because it's like socially distance and everything, so I couldn't like see the face, but like you can just tell when somebody's like yeah. happy, like their eyes, like, the little crow's feet, and you know, every and like it was just you know, so they're doing, so they're playing, they're playing, they're playing and she's like laughing because and and he's doing a lot of it. Like he's playing it up. Right. Like, cause the, and that's why I wanted to commend you because like the, the, the soul of pinball, if if pinball has a soul, that is definitely in this game and he was able to kind of get a piece of that and offer that to his wife and like involve them. And you know, so like they're doing the whole thing and we do that third round and I, I don't really, I don't really keep score. <laughs> and I let him, I let him nudge freely. I don't, I <laughs> it's no. like, okay, just, just turn the dice, whatever, whatever <laughs> you want. You get three of them, go for it. Um, so then they stop and then, you know, it's like, you know, that was a good session and you know, they were both really happy. And then the wife, and then the, the husband asked the wife to go to the the waiting room for their adult children to pick her up. And then he's there and he just starts crying. And I mean, I'm just- I'm, I'm,
1: gonna, getting, I'm gonna start crying, man.
0: I'm getting emotional just <laughs> remembering it. I almost break down in the Dice Out <laughs> review too, because I'd say the same story. And like, cause this is real beautiful every single time. there's it's like this like big hulking man. He's like six foot, he's like, know, bushy and everything. And he says like, for a little while, I had my wife back and we were connecting it's because of this silly pinball game and like i was and you know and it was like he's like just thank you you know thank you for that and you know it's like i mean i don't know if i'll ever be able to get to use pinball again (laughs) like that was such a constellation of like because they were big yahtzee players and they had that that pinball background you know in their history like they they'd they'd done it over that but the fact that you were able to create a game that has a, a, low, a low enough rule set and made lower by obviously some stuff mm-hmm. and also has enough of the soul of pinball in there to kind of give a couple like that access and help them achieve emotion was just, I mean, that's amazing, dude. Yeah,
1: that's a wonderful story. Thank you for that.
0: You know, it's amazing. <laughs> and, and, you know, the next week they were just kind of back to <laughs> whatever they were doing, but just for a little bit, it was really nice.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, the more, you know, the more that I've designed and the more that I play, even, you know, for all the decades that I've been playing, I mean, it's the more that I come to appreciate that, you know, games are about creating a social space where people come together over something, right? And, um, you know, a lot of times it's you know, if, especially, you know, for those of us who, you know, maybe in our youth or even now we're more socially awkward and stuff like that, right? It's, it's hard to be at a party where it's just totally free form interaction. You know, we just got to walk up to people and talk about, it. but if I'm sitting down and I'm playing a game of code names with you, then there are rules of how we interact with each other. And I've got a basis of, you know, of a structure or something like that, that can help to bring people together and introduce it. And, you know, there's so many elements of human society are like that, you know, beyond games into rituals and, you know, that they believe in the sporting events and religion and political activities and all kinds of other things that, and I just see, you know, games as kind of the purest expression of a way of connecting people, you know, even in a, even in a solo mode game, you know, you're, you're in essence connecting with, you know, yourself or with the designer or with other people that are doing the same activity or things like that. So. But you're creating
0: a, a different headspace. Like, I mean, life is scary and games aren't stable. Yeah. You know, like you said, I think you've, you've talked a lot about on Ludage about the magic circle. Mm-hmm. Right. And the magic circle being like, okay, this is a break now. <laughs> the rules are different now. This is, you know, out there, anything can happen. And usually something scary and mean and, and dumb here you know, there is, you know, even if you lose and even if there's like bad things happen, like you mentioned before, design for loss aversion, give threats and all that kind of thing, it's all stable, right. you know, yeah. and that's kind of what I try to create when I use games and therapies, I like, create that stable space because when you do it, where there's stability, there's no anxiety.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I think that that's, you know, very, uh, you know, very smart and very sensitive way to to use that to
0: try <laughs> yahtzee though yahtzee is definitely the one that gets used uh, in terms of rolling rights uh i've tried a bunch and you'd be surprised yeah. like it's it's funny because it's like and i'm not sure how you feel about this but like so i got into a little bit of trouble on the dice tower recently so i've done i've done the the healthy mind games for a couple and i i i viewed uno and uno is like by far my my most played game like it's not even close yeah like and I every time I try to kind of replace Uno with another game, like a quote unquote better game, like they're like, Okay, that was nice. Let's go back to Uno. <laughs> so it's like, okay, I have to kind of like deconstruct my my understanding of what is a good game and kind of go with the flow. So it's like I've I've kind of like come around on it. It's like I gave it a seal of excellence. Nine out of ten and people are like, I can't believe you did that, that's a terrible game. And
1: uh, you know, I yeah. I, a games are inherently subjective right a b they're so dependent on the group that you're playing with and you know it also depends on what you're trying to get out of it right i mean you're not playing uno for a deep strategic experience you're you're playing uno for the social experience right yeah, and exactly. the people that do it and the inside jokes and everything else that does it right and the house rules and and, yeah. and, the, and, the, and you should get and together with rich oh. summer man he's he's a uno fiend Who's that's, that? that's rich summer Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's a guy you want to talk to about Uno. Oh um, man, I gotta get him up. I gotta hit him up. You should. You absolutely should. You got into oh, a giant yeah. Twitter fight with the Uno people. What was the Twitter fight? I'm so curious. <laughs> it had to do with uh, skip skipping or a reverse a draw two cards. I don't. I don't remember. There was some <laughs> some whole rules. My new show over Uno. <laughs> I don't get. It's a whole subculture I don't get into. But yeah, I mean that's yeah, you know, and that's why it gets me. I will not say frustrated, but. You know, I mean, like the last podcast interview I did, you know, the last question was like, oh, so what's your favorite game? It's like, mm. you know, what do we do? How many people do we have? What are we doing? Who, you know, who are you? Who's the group I'm with? You know, I mean, it's, you know, there's, I don't have that. And I have this like zero patience for game snobs. Yes. You know, I kind of used to be yes. one to a stamp. extent, but you know, look, somebody wants to play, you know, Bunko. And they enjoy that, then that's fine. I'll show them other games if they if they're interested. But I'm not right. going to say don't play that; it's stupid. Play this instead. Yeah, like, or if like, like Bonko, <laughs> you might also like this. Or you like know, you're you playing, want...
0: yeah, you're playing this game because you don't know better. Right. You know, like you like Uno, Monopoly. You know, like okay, well they don't know better. They're they're either like too "quote unquote" dumb to learn a better game, or they are anxiously awaiting. Less like you know, we when we invite them to, into our tent, they'll in, in discover the. And you know what? That's not, you know, I just don't, I've tried (laughs) tried all sorts of people. And it's like, they like their, and there's reasons why I like their game. So like Monopoly, right? I mean, I guess from a game designer perspective, I mean, would you, what is your, you're thinking about Monopoly? Like, are you a, do you, do you share the general consensus in our community that it's like, okay, this is kind of a a bad game or do you see like
1: aspects to it? I mean, I think there are better games. Um, but you know, and I don't think if, you know, it's, but it's, you know, it's one of these accidents of culture, right? I mean, there's, you know, there's, it's just some things in culture, there's just like the big roulette wheel that spins and wherever it stops, you know, that that's what happens to be popular or goes viral and there's computer games or whatever, you know, and we see it even now with board games, you know, um, you know, like, uh, like wingspan probably going to get into trouble. Right. But like, you know, wingspan, the way it took off. Mm-hmm. Right, I mean, it's a fine game, but it's or terraforming Mars. It's a better example because steven I can I can make fun of steven yeah. uh, <sighs> <don't know>. Terraforming <laughs> Mars the is fine. Of you know, is it the fourth best game ever made or whatever it is now? I don't know. You know, it's got its strong points. It's got its weak points. It depends on the mood you're in. You know, it can run too long, whatever. You know, I mean, all this stuff, it's just, you know, just for whatever reason, things kind of capture the viral zeitgeist, right? Just, and they just, Mm -hmm. and they get their own momentum. And Monopoly's that way. It got its own momentum. Um, But if, you know, if you play it by the real rules, it's, you know, it's fine. But it also, you know, I mean, it was very indicative of its age. It it was also, it's very much a loss-aversion-y game, right? Mm -hmm. The only person that doesn't lose every single thing they have is the winner.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's it's just it's just the games that we played as kids are made to be horrible to kids. You know, it's just it's <laughs> kind of ironic in a way. It's like um, the fairy
0: tales that about like all like nastiness
1: and everything. Exactly, they're made to scare yeah. you, <laughs> right? Um, so yeah, you know, I mean, Monopoly's fine. If somebody really want to play Monopoly, I'd sit down and play Monopoly. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to like say absolutely not, never, I'm never going to sit down at your table, you know, hey, let's, mm-hmm. let's play, why not? And then afterwards, you know, let me take a fast food franchise and I'll show you that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, Although I guess like my, so my perspective, having played Monopoly in session a bunch of times with a bunch of people, I think, and I'm so glad you mentioned the loss aversion thing because I think modern game design overall is kind of like averse to people having a bad time at the table. You know, like they, like everybody is involved. There's no, like, no, no, no downtime. And, you know, make sure the scores are tight. That's a, a good game is when the scores are all tight and everything. And, you know, I think with a game like Monopoly, people are seeking that experience of like winning and just like being the ultimate winner and not just have being a winner, but like having a fistful of dollars and
1: yeah. like,
0: you know, making, <laughs> doing the thing, making it yep, rain yep. and stuff. And I, I just, I guess I feel like, quote unquote, more modern game design doesn't, go there like it does it's it's too afraid to have other people not have a good time <laughs> or, or what i i, I afraid is probably too stigma, uh, stigmatizing a word but um like it's it's concerned with the more more people having a good time where a uh, monopoly would be
1: like okay only the winner has fun so be the winner <laughs> right yeah um and that goes back to also you know then to you know the commercial what people are looking for in the marketplace Right. You know, and if Sellers of Catan had come out in 1927, would it have been popular? Maybe. I don't know. You know, I mean, there's plenty of, you know, classics that came out with diplomacy and stuff like that that, you know, require, you know, another one of before. diplomacy only the winner has fun. Well, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, the diplomacy that's a whole other conversation i'll come back and we'll do another two hours on diplomacy um but like acquire i mean you know there's there's plenty of games like that but yeah i mean it's but that's the emotional but you know look the emo i talked about like loss aversion in the book and how you use that to drive emotion the emotion i'm not saying emotion's bad right and i make you know, i emphasize I that in the book all the time I don't. you know some of the greatest moments in gaming come from exploiting loss aversion right for for a negative effect. Uh, I mean, in the video games world, um, the example I use in the book, which I think is perhaps a purest example is um, in Portal, the the weighted companion cube, right? Right. Um, Which like, is it too soon to
0: do spoilers for Portal? I think
1: the game's yeah, like right. 20 years old, right?
0: <laughs> I, I think, what was it? Mm-hmm. I, they never released a Portal 3, did they? It was only the- Well, uh, well ha- uh, in-
1: yeah, there's no Portal 3. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, in Portal, they, they give you this cube that's got hearts on the side and so you have to carry it through the whole level and, and you get more and more attached to it. I mean, they do everything in their power on that level to make you attached to it and then in the end, they make you throw it into a fire, right? Right. And it's one of the most memorable things in, in it's completely gratuitous, right? I mean, it has no- gameplay impact it's strictly thematic you know it strictly gives you some insight into you know the the, the oh, yeah. nature mm-hmm. of the computer and stuff um but it it sticks in your mind because you force the players to go through that ringer um and you know and, and that's the same thing with you know there's this board games where you want to do that you know there's intrigue the game intrigue which is perhaps the nastiest game ever made where you can just you make a deal with somebody you could just completely ignore it immediately Oh. It's like, if I give you this, you give me $3 and somebody says, okay, I agree to that. And you give it to them. And they say, I'm not giving you $3. That's perfectly legal in that game. Right. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's like diplomacy, you know, it's, it's, but that's, but that's an experience and and people w- will go for that experience. You know, people will go to scary movies, right. Mm-hmm. But not everyone's going to go to scary movies.
0: Um. So maybe, Okay. I'm gonna give this a shot. <laughs> I'm,
1: not, okay. I'm not an experienced game designer, but
0: like I, I think so. Another conversation that people have is around dice and having, like I think I, we're we're getting to a point in game design it, 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 where there's an aversion, a general aversion to just kind of like like zero sum. Right, either you win or you lose. So like you know, more and more dice games are like using like kind of multi-sided dice, or they're using like okay, you if you roll this, you get this, and if you don't, and if you roll lower, you can go over here. I think of a game like you know, a or Kingsburg, where you roll and you could still go somewhere with your one and two, you know, yeah. <laughs> or something like that. So like I mean, would you? I, I don't know. I don't know what question I want to ask, but like is that is that what I'm thinking about with loss aversion? Where like on a design perspective, you're kind of letting the players off the hook with letting them get away with low roles and is that something that you kind of consider
1: well i i think it you know it depends on what you're going for right i mean when i you know one of the questions i get a lot is like when you design a game do you start with a theme or do you start with the mechanics right which what do you start with and i mean i always say neither right i start with i'm an experience-based designer right i i think about what i want the players to feel like and the stories i want them to tell and stuff like that right um you know even with like super skill pinball it's like yeah i want people to kind of feel like they're playing pinball and make those choices and have it get narrower and narrower and like oh my god i just you know kind of like a slot machine effect come on six we need that six let's roll oh you know?
0: uh, by the way i forgot to mention this part of the story um the the husband his big complaint about pinball is that you run out of flipper numbers and <laughs> he's like you run out you can't keep going <laughs>
1: He's got an end man.
0: The game's got to end. He's like, no, I, I'm so good at pinball, but I was back in the day. I used to do. You this. could keep it going forever.
1: Yeah. So the biggest uh, the biggest knock on the game has been that it's too long, which is interesting. Mm. So yeah, so he's 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 on the other side of it for me. He wants he, he thinks it's too short because he he came at
0: it from the pinball perspective, like right. like he associated his experience with pinball of like being a pinball champion and you know just like being there for hours. His name was on the high score list and everything and. Uh, so complaint registered anyway. <laughs>
1: yeah. Okay. Um, I'll keep that in mind for the next time. Uh, so, so like at least
0: one endless board. Like if you can design right. like one board that has an endless, what, like it has, it has an infinite combo. Yeah, exactly.
1: It, okay. like make
0: the infinite machine <laughs> or whatever I'll, they're called. I'll that. Do that.
1: Uh, yep. And see how long people actually play it for before they just hang it up.
0: I, I have uh, a feeling that would be, <laughs> that, would, that would inspire some uh, contest or something like that. If you made that board and, <laughs> a perpetual motion machine board and <laughs> see
1: how long people last. Um, so, you know, I think the key thing is at least for me, when I sit down is, is I I, I'm aiming it at somebody I'm thinking about the experience that they want to have and what they want to do. right? Right. And so, you know, and that will guide me to how edgy do I want to be right. You know, if, if this is, you know, if I'm designing a game where I want people to kind of build their engines and they're constructing something and they're building an empire to reach to the stars. Right. I don't want to give them toys and then take their toys away or smash their factories. Right. right. That's not what the fantasy is about. Right. Right. If the fantasy is about, you know, it's, you're conquering the world and you have to, you know, lay all your enemies to dust before you, then yeah, then I'm going to be mean and I'm going to build those tools into a lay people to do that. So, I mean, I, I feel the experience, I mean, a lot of games and that, you know, Maybe this is overly broad, but they're basically like wish fulfillment and fantasy kind of stuff. I mean, that's why I think a lot of the themes are, you know, heroic and larger mm-hmm. than life. And we keep going back to the same stuff. Um, and, you know, you want to give people the tools to do that and, and tune the level of interaction for the target market you're going for. If you're designing a game for families to play and you don't want the families to be killing each other at the end, then you got to soften it up and you got to give, yeah, you know, then it's going to be minor things, so. Yeah. I, I, again, there's rooms and maybe I'm sounding wishy-washy and all this stuff, but there's room for all this stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm an Omni gamer, you know, there's, there's room for the, the, the diplomacies and squad leaders of the world. And there's the room for, you know, the the Kingsburgs and, you know, the splendors of the world where you're kind of in your own little world.
0: Mm -hmm. I guess like, so I guess I'm thinking about it in terms of trends. And Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if you think that way, about about games like okay the the games the games that I've played in the last couple of years seem to share these qualities of like you know the the dice uh, the, I'm playing fewer and fewer games that have like that zero mitigation dice because of uh, they don't like the designers don't want to give players the the feeling that they've had a nothing turn or like yeah. the you know like games have less downtime we had Rob Davio on the show on the old podcast and he's like okay no downtime no downtime no downtime you know I gotta kinda right. reduce that where the older games they didn't care. <laughs>
1: You right, yeah. I mean, when way. I was, I used to play war games all the time, right? And we literally had games where it would be like each player would take three hours to do their move and <laughs> you would go, you know, I would... But but that was manageable because Fair. I knew it was going to be two or three hours. I would leave. I would have a sandwich. I would watch a movie, you know, and then I'd come back and it'd be time for my turn. Oh, what happened? Oh, look what happened. You know, so there's ways you can deal with it. But um, yeah, I, I mean, part of that is... Uh, yeah, is... is um, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? It's it's you know, kind of cultural, but you know, it's it's just trends. It's just the latest trends of what it is, right? I mean, in the beginning in the in the seventies and the eighties we had we had cosmic encounter, we had all this other stuff where you were like really beating on each other and it was all crushed stuff, right? Then we moved into the nineties and the Euros. So then we had Sellers of Catan moved in and a lot of Kenitsian stuff moved in, Mm -hmm. which was, you know, much more about kind of trading and efficiency and doing, you know, a little bit, everybody was growing, but you, you know, everyone in Sells of Catan ends up better than they started, Um, but somebody ends up more better. Um, And so there was that, there was that theme for a while. And then, but then there was a rebellion and it kind of bounced back, you know, with the Ameritrash movement and that stuff, right? Then the pendulum swung back and all of a sudden there was other games that came out that were again about just dudes on a map and chaos in the old world and all this other stuff where you can really destroy other people's positions um and now we're in kind of this hybrid period which i think is great i mean i i I don't feel like it's just you know the soulless euro game where it's you know just very abstracted and you know just and and it's not just you know it's a combination of a lot of different things coming together but i'm sure there's going to be another you know we're not at the end of this evolution it's going to go back you know and honestly we're seeing it more it's just shooting off in a zillion different directions at once i mean after like you know um there's always going to be trends like in movies, you know, all of a sudden you'll see a speed of movies that are all about the same topic, you know, well, after love letter came out, right. Everyone, had, games, an 18, yeah. everyone had an 18 card micro game that mm-hmm. they were doing. Right. And that was the trend. And it was like, Oh, games are getting smaller and shorter. And if you go to a publisher and it's, it takes more than 30 minutes, nobody's interested. Okay. Well then, you know, then Gloomhaven came out with, you know, <laughs> so it's right. these, these things move around.
0: Okay uh so um we still have to talk about one last project which is your kickstarter that you designed with your son
1: yes uh nova league nova league of the game okay um i don't know if i've mentioned this but i I try to do set weird challenges for ourselves when we talk and we you know because i'm i'm not not doing this you know just for commercial success and trying to you know i do have a job so i can Mm -hmm. i can afford to do stuff for fun um so you're probably too young for this, but uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar with back. This game actually first came out in the '40s. Um, is the vibrating electric football? Okay. So there's it's a big board made out of metal, and you put these little figures on it, and then the board vibrates. Oh, the okay. little guys run around. Yeah,
0: sure, sure, yeah, that,
1: yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so I, I never knew what it was called, buddy? <laughs> well, it's, I, I just call it generically by writing electric football, but it's called electric football, I think, in general. Mm-hmm. But, um, and so I, I played that a ton as when I was a kid, but as a toy, right? It never worked really as a game. I mean, I think it, it does because I've gotten more into it now, and it does if you really like fine-tune the bases and groom your guys and you know really play with your board. But you know, I love the idea of these little guys running around on the board. Um, and so uh, I didn't even remember how it came up, but at some point, Brian and I were talking and we came up with this idea of, hey, we should try to make a new game using the vibrating board. And um, so we, we worked and we actually came up with a way of making, you know, a real slick modern game with, um, you know, different characters, every character having special abilities um, and sort of a sports, still a sports theme. Um, but you know, uh, a, a lot of different fun, very quick playing, has a lot of skill to it, in spite of the random action of the vibrating board. Mm-hmm. And um, we ended up like partnering. What kind in, of skill?
0: Like dexterity skill, strategy. No, skill? no, no,
1: no dexterity strategy. Actually, okay. coming up with good plays and and making use of the special abilities of the characters to do stuff. And um, and I am just absolutely just tickled pink about this game. I, I just love it to death. It's so it's much the fun one, to play. It's the one! <laughs> it's at the one. Uh, and it's we've actually partnered with Tudor Games. Mm-hmm. Tudor Games is going to be publishing it. Um, uh, although this is a very the new area for them. So they have made electric football as basically their only game since 1947. Wow. Um, and there's tournaments and there's all kinds of stuff around it. But, um, you know, so I, I we met with them and we're like, hey, you know, it's t- maybe it's time for a new game. Uh, But they know nothing about this world. They really don't know much about Kickstarter and stuff and and just this sort of game market in general. So, um, you know, we're really working together on this. And um, what's coming out on Kickstarter uh, in in April, it's, um, I should probably look it up, the URL. It's it's Nova, yeah, Mm NovaLeague.net is the, uh, no dashes or anything, just NovaLeague.net is the URL. And you can sign up for the mailing list there. And, um, you know, I, I think it's a, an ideal Kickstarter thing. We've, we've got fantastic sculpts for all the different characters. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, it plays really fast. It plays in about, you know, 20 to 30 minutes. It's super easy to teach. I could teach it in literally in like three minutes, four minutes. But it still has a lot of interesting plays and fun mm. things you can do. And, and a better player will beat uh, somebody that doesn't know what they're doing. Although there's a, there's a healthy dose of randomization with the vibration. Um, and you talk about endings. We talked about endings before. I'm going to bring it full circle now because I'm a sure. podcasting professional. Um, <laughs> Better talked about than col- 10 plus years. <laughs> talked about colonoscopies. So one of the things we have, the way that structure of the game is, is that, you know, what we found out is the way you normally play the football game is you, you hold down this button and it vibrates the board and you release the button as soon as the ball carrier is touched by an opposing player. Okay. And the problem is that can take a long time. And while that's happening, guys start running around in circles, just, you know, just, it just gets stupid, right? It just, mm-hmm. it just doesn't work. Um, and um, so what we found, we did a bunch of experimentation is we found that actually um, the first four or five seconds, the guys generally go in the direction you want them to go in.
0: Mm.
1: Okay. Once it gets past that, things get swirly. So the way the game works is you just push the button. Everyone kind of sets up. So in the first play, everyone sets behind the 20-yard line. And we set it up ultimately so each team has their own ball. Both teams have a ball. Mm -hmm. And then you push the button, and it just goes for five seconds and then stops. It's got an automatic cutoff. And then from where the characters are... Um, now you can each character has energy and now you can spend energy to do all their special abilities. So you can do special abilities. And plus there's common abilities like throwing the ball. Every player can do, you can just, you just pay an energy and you can just move the ball to a different player anywhere away or whatever. Um, but the, the, the initially when we were play testing it is you could actually throw the ball in the end zone. It's like one of your guys went in the end zone. You could throw the ball for a touchdown and and pay an energy and you know send the ball down there and then you'd you'd score a point and you'd reset. And it, functionally it worked as a game and it made sense thematically, but it was not exciting. Right. You know mm-hmm. it wasn't fun at all. So finally we went back. We were after resting around with this. We just added in a absolute hard and fast golden rule in the game, which is that the ball. You can only, the ball can only cross the goal line during the five seconds of vibration. (laughs) Okay, right? So during all the abilities with all the crazy special powers where you can displace characters and you can move things around, you could swap places with other characters or whatever the heck it is, right? The one rule is you can never do that in such a way that'll put the ball into the end zone.
0: Mm.
1: Um, And also the end zone shrink, the end zone's move in over time. Also, so that it also drives the point to a to a conclusion, which also helps the football game because guys do you know mm-hmm. it helps you it helps things drive, and just adding that little thing. So now when you push the button, it's the five seconds. So even if somebody's like a, a millimeter away from the end zone, you can reposition your own figures to like form a little wedge right at your goal line. Right, you can reposition guys right to the goal line in front of them, and sometimes <laughs> crazy stuff happens during that five seconds. You know, somebody spins around and they'll go through and they'll bounce off of three people but you know you always score a point during that five seconds when you're just watching you're powerless to do anything and it's incredibly exciting Mm. um so that was the way that we kind of took that lesson of you know and the game always ends on a score right that's always the way the game ends so it always ends on something crazy happening during that five seconds where you're somebody bounces off or turns around or goes into the end zone because that actually you have to end the vibration period and especially when i when it's me my guys run into the end zone and then out of the end zone all during the same five seconds. (laughs) And then it stops vibrating and they're out. And I'm like, no dude, what are you doing? Uh, so it just has those fun and exciting moments. Um, Mm -hmm. so that, that that little rules tweak of, you know, it's, you can only score during the vibration just, just makes the game.
0: And it's it's funny. I guess we were talking about like trends, a, a trend recently is like kind of bringing back this old stuff and modernizing it to the yeah. n- new, you know, I mean, you can only yeah. have so many ideas. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's restoration
1: and stuff. You know, mm-hmm. there are these people that are making a living at doing that. Yeah, yeah you know, there's you know, a like, lot you mean, of fantastic games in the past that can be resurrected.
0: Mm-hmm. And so like I mean this was more of an activity than a game the old one it was just like right. random chaos but it was a t- cool toy and like back you know like before we had all these kind of things happening this was a way to kind of entertain yourself but it's like now seems like you really like you know like the restoration stuff I'm waiting for my copy of it. uh what is it um uh, the dark castle the one
1: <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> what, dark tower
0: dark tower that's the one uh you know and and that is definitely you know I I, I I have no idea what else is coming from the past, but uh, uh, I'm happy to see that you are absolutely uh, bringing, bringing back some of those toys. If they bring back atmosphere, I'm going to be just, uh, I'll be beside myself. (laughs) Well, you can still do that. I think they're all on YouTube. (laughs) We need a modern version of that game. (laughs) The actual board experience is pretty terrible. Yeah, that's true. Uh, this was jeff engelstein we had so much fun chatting uh we went all over the place we went to psychology and uh loss aversion and we talked about pinball and we did uh this was one of the most interesting conversations that i've had in a very long
1: time thank you so much uh for making the time yeah thanks for having me this was a blast and uh, i hope that's some um, it's some it's magical future point we'll actually get to meet face to face and hang out
0: I mean, you're from New Jersey. I'm from Connecticut. We're not yep. that far away. Uh, hopefully, cons open up at some point. You know, uh, we can get uh, meet up at a Dexcon. You know, in, in Jersey or some uh, Metatopia you mentioned before. Uh, one of these other places that'd be really fun. Yeah, Metatopia. Um, I'm
1: always always go to and Dex. Yeah, they're real close to my house, so it's
0: uh, it's easy for me to get to those. And so you are very available. Uh, you are on Twitter. all I had to do is uh, send you a private message, and you respond right away. Um, and and you have the the books coming out. Uh, go ahead and check out uh, the Game Tech book. And what are the titles of the other two? Uh,
1: Game Production and Achievement Relocked. Mm-hmm.
0: Available all on Amazon or wherever you get your yep. local books. Uh, buy, uh, you cannot find Turiscope Pinball anywhere. <laughs> no, by
1: the time this comes out, it should be back in, back in stock place. Okay. So it'll be coming in.
0: And a Print and Play. Uh, the, the website is still live for the Print and Play. Yeah, that one
1: you can get. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and is there any, anything else uh, anywhere else that people can contact you
1: uh, yeah on, on Twitter I'm at G Engelstein which is G-E-N-G-E-L-S-T-E-I-N that's probably the best place to, uh, to find me um, yeah and uh, that's that's
0: basically it all right so this is Jason reminding you if you could change your mind you could change the world so until next time later everybody thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast